I'm really a little extra excited to get to talk to you this morning because I get to tell you one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. It's about the defining and most mysterious moment in the life of a man named Jacob. But, but, but first, some important backstory. Jacob is the, is the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who you might have heard of. So Jacob is Abraham's grandson. Jacob's dad, as I said, is Isaac. His mom is Rebekah. And uh, Jacob was one of twin boys. And, and as they're being born, uh, look what the Bible says is happening. As they're being born... Uh, Jacob's not the first one born. He's the second one born. But the first one comes out. There's, there's a hand grabbing, a little hand holding on to his heel. And that was Jacob. Jacob's holding on to his brother's heel as his older, as his just, just slightly older brother is being born. This little hand is holding on to his heel and it's like Jacob's saying, you're not getting born first, I'm getting born first. Jacob's name literally means heel grabber. Now Esau, he was a big strong guy. Even as a baby, he was a big... You ever see like a big strong baby? Or nothing, you get a baby that's kind of buff. He was a big strong buff baby. He was all red and hairy and that's what Esau means. But Jacob means heel grabber. Figuratively though, it means cheater. Deceiver. So we know this about Jacob from the start. He's a heel grabber. He's a cheater. He's a deceiver. He'll take advantage of you if he can. And... Uh, he starts, man, he, he deceives his brother, deceives his father, and then deceives his brother again, and deceives him so badly, and of, uh, so much wealth is involved in the deception, and so much blessing is taken away in the, de- in, in the, in the deception that, that Esau swears to kill him, and, and uh Heel grabber ends up on the run from manly, muscled up, testosteronic Esau. And he runs away. And, and along the way, as heel grabber's running, he has this dream and he sees this, this ladder to heaven, also known as a, it's really more accurately in the Bible, a, he sees this stairway to heaven. And at the top of this stairway to heaven, he sees Robert Plant. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that. Little Led Zeppelin reference for those of you who did not. No, no, it wasn't Robert Plant. At the top, well. yeah, at the top of the at the top of the the stairway to heaven, it was God, and God says to Jacob, "I'm going to bless you. I'm going to I'm going to enrich your life and the lives of others through you, even though you're a cheat." No, that last part, even though you're cheated, the Bible doesn't actually say that. God doesn't come out and say that last part, but it's implied. God's saying to Jacob, even though you're a mess, even though you don't deserve my love, even though you're a cheater, you're a deceiver, even though you don't deserve my blessing, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless you. And, no, and notice, notice Jacob's response to this promise of unilateral, undeserved blessing from God. If, well, God, you know, if you do this, then I'll do that. You ever do that with God? Well, God, you know, if you do this, then, then I'll do that. 
He's, he's trying to grab at God's heel. He's trying to work a deal with God. I mean, not that any of us would ever do that. He's grabbing at God's heel. So Jacob is on the run. And on the run, he ends up with a wife or two or four. It's Genesis. It's messy. And he has all these sons and daughters and all this livestock. And he's a rich man because, see, back then you didn't have dollar bills. You had animals. You know, instead of being able to peel off the Benjamins, you had cows and sheep and stuff. And after years and years of living with his father-in-law... In his neck of the woods, Jacob decides to, to leave from there and he's on the run again because his father-in-law is chasing him because he's deceived and cheated him too. Jacob's on the run. Now, a lot of time has passed in Jacob's life in this short amount of time that I've been talking this morning thus far. Jacob's been away from home now, away from his father and his mother and his, and, and his I swear I'm going to kill you brother for 21 years. 21 years away from home because he was a deceiver, a cheater, a heel grabber. But now he's heading home. So Jacob and his wives and his kids and his servants and his animals, they're, they're on the edge of, of, his, of his homeland and they're, they're camped out by this river called Jabbok. Somebody say Jabbok. Jabbok. That's the river, Jabbok. And on the other side of the river Jabbok, is guess whose territory? Esau. Dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so Jacob sends a messenger out to Esau. And he says, hi, you know, I'm sent by your brother. And he wants you to know that it's been a while. And he's sorry. And, and he's coming home. And he wants you to know that he's sorry, sorry, sorry. And so he wants to give you these animals. And you can have whatever you want. And uh, Esau says, tell Jacob I'm coming. Esau says, uh, actually what it says is that uh, Jacob says, you know, you know, he'll come out tomorrow to meet you. And then Esau says back to the messengers, es Esau says, well, you tell Jacob I'm coming to meet him. And I'm bringing 400 men. So the messenger goes back to Jacob and Jacob says, what did he say? And the messenger says, Jacob, Esau says he's coming out to meet you and he's bringing 400 men with him. And Jacob says, well, what kind of men? And messenger says, well, they might be licensed massage therapists. <laughs> but I imagine they're pretty angry. So in the middle of the night, Jacob sends his wife and his children in two groups across the river Jabbok for safety. And Jacob, he stays back alone. Now, up till now, he's always run away when deceiving didn't work. But this time, Esau's coming and he has no place to run. Can't go that way because his father-in-law, he's cheated, is back that away and can't go this way because that's where Esau is. And, and that's when the story happens. Jacob's all alone, all alone by the river Jabbok. He has no idea what happens. And boom, he gets tackled. Out of the darkness comes this figure. And it's an all-night-long wrestling match. You know, arm bars and head locks and figure fours and folding chairs being crashed over the, over the head. And it's mysterious. Is it a man? Is it an angel? Is it some 
hard to explain manifestation of, of God. It's, 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 it's all happening so fast and it's so dark. So, so many things we don't understand about this story. It's so mysterious. So much mystery to it. They're wrestling. And somehow Jacob's holding his own. Now, according to Jewish tradition, uh, people lived a lot longer back then, but Jacob was 97 years old. Can you imagine a 97-year-old man in a wrestling match and holding his own? I mean, that's how stubborn Jacob was. But see, this is, this is not just happening. This is, this is a metaphor for his whole life. He's been wrestling against God for 97 years. And this night's no different. It's a physical manifestation of his whole life. And hours in, the man or the angel thing, whatever, knocks Jacob's hip out of joint. So Jacob's injured and he can't win. But even so, Jacob won't let go. Angel, angel, man, manifestation of God, whatever it is, says, let go of me, you've lost. And Jacob says, I won't let go of you until you bless me. It's like he's grabbing onto God's beard. We're going to duke it out, Yahweh. Me and you, mano a divino. And the angel finally says, what's your name? And he says, my name's Jacob. Deceiver, cheater, liar. And the angel says, your name will no longer be deceiver. Your name is now Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob is blessed by the mysterious figure. And for the rest of his life, he walks with a limp, injured from wrestling with God. His new name means wrestles with God, struggles with God, dukes it out with God. That's the new name that God gives Jacob and that's also the name that God gives His people who come after Him. God's people are people who wrestle with God, not who have God all figured out. But people who invite God into their space to do business, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts. And I believe part of what we're supposed to get out of the story can be summed up in just, just, just two words. When life gets hard and you can't understand what God's doing or not doing or where He's at or how He works, when life gets hard and you're wrestling with God no matter what, hold on, hold on. Hold on to God. And, and, and it's hard holding on to God. It's, it's hard. It's painful. It, it, it doesn't make sense. When my oldest son was born, he was born uh, premature and something was wrong. And, and he was in children's hospital. And for days and days, they wouldn't even tell us whether he was going to live or die. And I, know, I would imagine in a room full of people of this number, a lot of y'all have, have gone through much worse. But... Uh, for days and days, they wouldn't tell us whether he was going to live or die. And, and uh, it was, uh, up until that point, the hardest thing in my life. And I, 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 it was hard because uh, God could have prevented that. But he didn't. Uh, 
It was hard. But I tried to hold on. And, you know, preached here a few times before, as I've shared before. I, I know what it's like to have a wife leave me for another man. I know what that's like. And it's hard, to say the least. And, I mean, you know, from a purely theological point, you know, God could have pre prevented that too. But he didn't. And there's a lot of other things God could have prevented, you know. God, uh, uh, God could have prevented years and years and years of struggles with depression and anxiety and insomnia in my life. But he, but he, you know, whatever it would take to fix that, you know, the messed up blood chemistry or childhood trauma or whatever it was that makes me the person that I am, whatever I, problems that I got. He doesn't just, he can fix it just like that, but he doesn't. I don't get it. This one time I was playing basketball. Broke both wrists and my tailbone on one play. Are you that bad? Titanium plate in this wrist, because this one had to be surgically impaired. Repaired, excuse me. <laughs> impaired explains how I play basketball. And uh, I know a lot of y'all are thinking, quit playing basketball, you moron. <laughs> You're 52 years old. No! No! I got a frequent flyer card at the emergency room. <laughs> I love the game. I'm not quitting playing, but I mean, it's a dumb little thing. But it was still pretty long rehab, and I had to go to you know, occupational therapy to get it all fixed up and work on that and it was hard and it, you know I, I didn't play for six months and that's like a key thing for me man as I can't I'm not quite right if I can't get out there and run around and do my thing on the basketball court and God could have prevented that but he didn't and uh, I'm going through something right now I'm not, not really ready to tell you all about uh, but it's not good. Tell you that much. And I've wrestled with God over things. Me and God, me and God have spent a lot of years in couples therapy. <laughs> and the biggest part of my spiritual journey, through all the wrestling, just boils down to holding on. Because as I hold on, to him. He changes me. I'm not who I was before I went through all that stuff. I'm a different person. I mean, I'm a lot like the person that I was before. I'm a lot the same, but I'm a lot different too. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm new in some ways. And God's been doing stuff in my life. And, I, and I'm not who I was. And my part in this process is mainly just holding on. Holding on to the God who holds on to me and not letting go of the one who won't let go of me.
And when you go through it and you hold on to God when you don't know why or how, you end up walking with a spiritual limp of sorts. We walk through life a little wounded. But God has a way of taking that woundedness and redeeming it and somehow making it worthwhile. So, so please, just whatever you're going through, just hold on. Hold on. We're a people who hold on even when we can't see him in the dark. We're people who've been tackled by God. And sometimes he gives us a bear hug. And sometimes he knocks our hip out of joint. Takeaways. Ready? This whole wrestling thing for our for old boy heel grabber. Remember, it started when he was alone. Alone by the river. Jabbok. Jabbok. So one takeaway from this time this morning, y'all, is on some basis, maybe a daily basis, in order to be really shaped and transformed and molded, you got to be alone with God. I mean, we need people, but you got to be alone with God. Carl Jung, one of the fathers of modern psychology, he had this patient who was depressed and suicidal, and, and, and yet he was trying to deal with it by working a lot. He's a workaholic, too. He was working... 14, 15 hour days and he's finding no meaning in his life. Can you relate? And he went to see Carl Jung and Carl Jung gave him this homework. He said, I want you to be alone for one hour every day for a week and come back and tell me how you're doing. So the guy went home and was alone each day for an hour. And a week later he came back and said, it's not working. I feel worse. And Jung, Jung said, uh, what are you doing during your time alone? And he said, guy said, well, I'm, I'm all alone. You know, but during my time alone, you know, I'm listening to Mozart and Beethoven. And Jung said, I didn't tell you to listen to Mozart and Beethoven. I told you to be by yourself, just by yourself, all alone. And the man said, but that's the person I most don't want to be with. That's my least favorite person in the world. And Jung is reported to have said, imagine what it's like for the people who have to spend 14 hours a day with you. (laughs) And we all need a lot of things in our lives, but maybe what we need most is just a little bit, or maybe more than a little bit of time each day just to meet with God, to be alone with Him, to let Him tackle us. And yeah, I'm, I'm a person who believes in regular Bible reading. And, but, but for this alone time, no Bible. No journal. No requests. No Thanksgiving. No Mozart, no Beethoven, no counting crows or chicken foot or broken bells or David Crowder or whatever stripe of Christian music you're into. We have to learn to be silent before God with no agenda. And I'd like to say that I'm great at it, but I'm not. I'm terrible at it. We like to think that being alone is a time of rest and rejuvenation. No, you, you get all alone all by yourself with no television, no radio, no music, no journal, no Bible, no prayer, no this, no that. You get alone. You 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 get alone in the presence of God, and I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna. It it it, it, it it's difficult. It's torturous. 
in a manner of speaking, that's when your demons come out. Manner of speaking. So I want to encourage you, even as I encourage myself. I, I did it yesterday. Hadn't done it in a while. I got alone with God yesterday, yesterday morning. Good stuff came out of it. So Jacob's alone and there's wrestling. And Jacob says, I won't let go of you until you bless me. And see, getting alone with God is what to do. But this is our stance before God during this time. God, God show you, show me what you've got to show me. Do whatever you need to, to do. No matter how painful it is, I, I dare you. I, I double dog dare you to say to God, God, have your way with me. Make me whoever I was meant to be. Mold me into how I was meant to be. But I'm not letting go until you do. I'm holding on to you. It's painful. Sometimes the pain is feeling like God's not listening. Sometimes the pain is feeling like God's not doing something. Sometimes it's even worse. Sometimes the pain is feeling like God's not even there. You're just talking to the air. But we're his people. And we hold on to God. See, it's interesting in that story. God, uh, Jacob was asking this mysterious being, you know, what's your name? What's your name? And God wouldn't say his name. But afterward, looking back on it, Jacob realized that somehow this was God he was wrestling with. See, that's what... Peniel means. See, he named that place where he was wrestling with God. He called it Peniel. It means seeing God face to face. And we're so like that. I mean, stuff, stuff's happening in our lives and, and uh, we can't see God and we don't know what's going on. And, but looking back, we see that the pain and the confusion were either somehow from God to mold us or we see that God was with us even when we thought we were thrashing around alone in the dark and God was just working through these things. And it says that as the sun rose above old Jacob as he passed Peniel at the end of the story, there's this interesting statement. The Bible says, that's why the people of Israel don't eat the hip muscle of any animal. little dietary trivia to end the story of Jacob about what the Israelites did and didn't eat. But it's significant because every time they were cooking, if you were a little boy or a little girl, you'd say to your mom or your, your dad, you'd say, let me eat that part. That, look, that looks good. And they'd say, we don't eat that part. And you'd say, why? But it looks good. And they'd say, yeah. But it's to remind us that our father, Jacob, wrestled with God. We don't eat that part of the animal because God wants us to be people who let him do business with us. That we need to be alone with him and that we wrestle with him and we hold on. And we walk with a limp. I'd, I'd like to end the day by offering you a small gift. And I wasn't born yesterday. I understand if you're not comfortable taking me up on it. But here's what I want to do. Is I want to give you just maybe a minute or two of silence in the presence of God. So here's what I want you to do. I'd like for you to uncross your legs. Uncross your arms and put your feet flat on the floor in front of you. And I'd like for you to, I'm going to pretend this is the floor for me, okay? 
this rung of my stool is the floor for me. And I want you to put your, your arms on your legs with your palms up like this. Don't, don't worry, it's not going to get weird in here. Nobody's going to levitate or nothing. <laughs> and as we begin this time of silence, things are going to come to your mind that aren't God. Oh, what about the bills? Or what about that problem? Or what about my health? Or what about this? Or maybe... Some other thought comes to your mind. And each time something comes to your mind that is not God. I'd like for you to just to turn your palms down as a way of releasing it. This is just an ancient simple technique called palms up, palms down. Fancy name, isn't it? What am I going to do about, you know, about, about my car? Oh, that diagnosis. That relationship. Each time, say, God, I'm here just to hold on to you. And uh, let's just take a minute or so and do that. Each time something comes to your mind that's not God, just, just, just turn over your hands and let it go. And then go back to palms up. This is just a, this is just a posture of receptiveness. Lord, we, we, we come to you. We don't understand you, but we hold on to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you, you're going, you're going to go into your time of solitude expecting a wrestling match, and he's just going to hug you. He's just going to love on you, dote on you, rejoice over you. And some of us, we're going to go into our time of solitude, and he's going to come ready to rumble. Both of those are love. Those of you who've raised kids know that. Sometimes love's a warm embrace and sometimes it's doing and saying hard, difficult things. But both are love. Eugene Peterson's a favorite writer of mine. He got, he's the guy that wrote the message translation of the Bible. And he, wrote, he writes this. Jacob was easily the most thoroughly crooked man portrayed in Scripture. There doesn't seem to have been a single redeeming feature in his life until that night when God wrestled with him and changed him. Some of us have given up on ourselves the way we would have given up on Jacob, have we not known the power of God to change people? We become so completely discouraged with our attempts at love and goodness that we wonder, will I ever make any progress in God's ways? 
Others of us seem so separated from the grace and love and ways of God that we wonder who can possibly penetrate my calloused skin. The answer to these questions lies on the banks of the river Jabbok. You can't do it. But God can. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, you know what we're talking about. Heel grabbers, your great, 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 great grandfather. You are in his lineage. You know what it's like to be one of us. And we come to you now and we, have, we, we need you. And sometimes we feel like we just can't help, hold on any longer. But help us to hold on to you. Help us to hold on. Even as you hold on to us. It's in Jesus' name. It's uh, communion time. And uh, when we get to communion time, uh, please keep in mind that Jesus wrestled with God. Jesus says, I, I don't want to have to go through this, but I will. Not your will, but my will. The words that were spoken for you and me. And uh, I believe we've got a song, and, and then it'll be communion time, which is one of our times to hold on to God.